0: Welcome to the Well SGV podcast. We exist to multiply followers of Jesus rooted in the gospel who worship, walk, and witness to God's glory. Here's our message for the week. Okay, thank you, Annie, uh, for that scripture reading. And uh, no, this is not a mistake. It is the same passage as last Sunday. Okay, just in case you're wondering, like, wait a minute, this sounds familiar. Uh, yeah, we're going look to look at this, but we're going to look at it from a different angle. And uh, we're going to look at the idea of uh, meals with the king, but from the angle of hospitality. Okay, so we're going to just look at this passage and go into uh, the series that we've been talking about uh, for the past several weeks, and that is a meal with the king. And we've been looking at several different aspects of that in terms of God's grace, his forgiveness, Um, how we humble ourselves before him to receive the forgiveness that he has to offer to us by his grace and his love through the cross. But today, I want to focus a little bit on this idea of how the meal is very much a representation of hospitality and God's kingdom and the kinds of people that he wants us to to become. Um, I want to start off by sharing one of the highlights, one of the great highlights of my trip that actually Pastor Rick and I and one other guy took back in 2019 to Taiwan. And there in Taiwan, we got to visit with a lot of different missionaries and pastors, and that was great and all. But I will say that one of the greatest highlights of that trip for me was one particular rainy Sunday morning. It was pouring, and uh, I went with this other guy uh, to look for a place of worship at this international church. Uh, We hopped into the cab, took this long drive. The cab driver got completely lost himself. He didn't know where to drop us off, and he accidentally dropped us off at the wrong location, and it's pouring, and we didn't have umbrellas. And so it's like, oh, okay, where do we go? Like, where is this church? We can't even find it. And we're getting drenched. We're, you know, just trying to do this kind of thing and all that. Uh, But eventually, like, amazingly, we found the church location. We got there. We joined in the middle of their worship service. And, uh, you know, I don't remember a whole lot, truthfully. (laughs) But this is what I remember. After the worship service was done, there was a a man that we just started talking with. And he saw us. He saw that we were drenched. We were like, you know, like kind of uncomfortable. And, you know, we didn't know anybody there. He made his way straight towards us and just engaged us in conversation. You know, tell tell me where you're from. How are you doing? All of that. And uh, so we shared. We had a good conversation. I thought that was it. But after that, he said, hey, um, can I treat you to lunch? And I said, yeah, sure, that'd be great, <laughs> yeah, right? And uh, we went, we walked to a nearby location, we had a good meal over some ramen, and uh, the ramen was great, good no. but what was even better, and what was even far more memorable, was just the conversation that we had the warmth that we felt from this person here we are two strangers right and we just kind of went into their worship service he doesn't know us we don't we barely know him but he took us in and he made us feel home he made us feel like we were friends and that meal was a very powerful memorable a moment for me that just showed something about God's love, his grace, and his presence to us in that moment. Uh, that's a moment that I will not forget, and it's a reminder to me of why uh, God's people, that wherever we go, that you will feel the love of Christ. Um, it was a great blessing. It's a reminder of what makes, to me, the church so attractive. I mean, we could have worship, all of that is very important. But what makes the church so attractive is the love of Christ being displayed in the real way through these friendships. That was attractive. And I will say that we need this more than ever before. More than ever. We live in a day and age where... There, you know, we're getting bombarded with text messages, right, all throughout the week. We look at social media, you know, our Instagram accounts. We go through our, our feeds, our reels, stories, all of the stuff. We get tons of emails. Uh, there's, everything's all digitized. But when, when everything's digitized, and especially when you're getting text messages, I mean, try to put some emojis, and, you know, to try to display, okay, this is how I'm feeling or whatever, but still, you can't see their facial expressions. You can't really hear the tone of their voice, right? And we live in this world where we're just constantly bombarded with all kinds of information that's out there, but we feel very disconnected from our hearts. It reminds me of the movie, uh, WALL-E. How many of you guys have seen WALL-E? All right, okay, about half of you guys, right? And Wall E is, you know, it shows this remnant of the human race that is basically traveling throughout space. And in this movie in Wall E, you have these humans, but they're kind of right on these digital recliners, and they look at these screens, and they're get, getting loads and loads, tons of information downloaded into their brains, right? But as this is happening. You know, they have so much information that they lose their ability to think. And they get easily manipulated. They're easily controlled because of all this information that is completely bombarding them. They lose their ability to just think, interact, and their muscles begin to atrophy. Uh, But the point is clear in this movie. And that is that technology, while it has its benefits and it can be good, can also be completely dehumanizing. And we live in a world that is increasingly becoming dehumanizing. That is why hospitality, sharing a meal, when we do that, we are being put face to face with one another, right? Person to person, real human interactions. And this is what our culture, this is what our world deeply, deeply needs and longs for more than ever, ever before. The church in the New Testament was known for its meals in homes. And this is just my simple point today, how important this is. There's a book by Rosaria Butterfield, and the title of her book says, The Gospel Comes with a House Key. And I have one key point that I want to try to just convey to you, and that is, that the gospel comes with a house key and a meal. And a meal. I have three simple things I just want to talk about this hospitality as enacted grace, hospitality as an enacted family, and hospitality as enacted reconciliation. As enacted grace, as enacted family, and as enacted reconciliation. Let's look at this first idea. Hospitality as enacted grace, as enacted grace. Let me read to you a portion of this passage that we just read, Luke chapter 7. One of the Pharisees, Simon, asked Jesus to eat with him, and he went into the Pharisee's house and reclined at the table. And behold, a woman of the city who was a sinner, when she learned that she was reclining at the table in the Pharisee's house, brought an alabaster flask of ointment. And standing behind him at his feet, weeping, she began to wet his feet with her tears and wiped them with the hair of her head and kissed his feet, and anointed them with the ointment. Now when the Pharisee who had invited him saw this, he said to himself, this, is, this man were a prophet, he would have known who and what sort of woman this is who is touching him, for she is a sinner. And Jesus, answering, said to him, Simon, I have something to say to you. And he said, say it, teacher. This passage that we looked at last week, we looked at the idea of forgiveness of sins. We looked at grace. We looked at humility. But I want to show you a different angle in this passage. And what I want you to see is simply this. The irony of this passage is you have Simon, the Pharisee, And technically, he's the host of this dinner, and he invites Jesus to this party, to this dinner. And he's the one who actually treats Jesus like a complete stranger. Doesn't give Jesus the customary greetings, the anointing of the oil over the head, the washing of the feet. Doesn't give the kiss, the greeting, any of that. Right? Completely snubs Jesus. This woman, though who is the complete outsider. She's the uninvited guest. She's unwelcome. She's the one who's basically standing outside the courtyard, and she's kind of observing everything that's happening. And as she's observing, and she's seeing Jesus being snubbed by Simon the Pharisee, she's the one who immediately comes in to the dinner, uh, just barges in, in a way, but then begins to treat Jesus as the complete VIP, the special guest of honor. And we talked about how she gave the the most precious possessions that she had, this alabaster jar of ointment. And this was the most precious thing that she could possibly offer to Jesus. She breaks this, and then she completely anoints Jesus with this alabaster jar. This woman show tremendous love for Jesus because she was forgiven much. Simon hardly saw his need for forgiveness, and so he didn't really see Jesus as someone who was his Savior. He didn't have much love for Jesus. Why? How did Simon view Jesus? You know how he views Jesus is this. The reason why Simon invites Jesus is simply because of his entertainment value. Jesus is the up-and-coming rabbi of the day. His teachings are spreading everywhere. His miracles, well-known. People are finding out about his, the healings and the miracles. And you know how Simon views Jesus is Simon views him simply as, wow, I get to, I'm going to invite this person to my house because of the value that he brings to me. He brings tremendous entertainment value. And by having Jesus at my house, I'm going to be able to draw this crowd, and I'm going to be able to be viewed with honor because of Jesus. This is how Simon saw him. What was Simon doing? Using Jesus for his own benefit, and he is serving himself. This woman, though, loved Jesus for Jesus' sake, not, for, not because of the benefit, per se, that Jesus brought to her, but simply because she loves Jesus, knowing that Jesus loves her. It's this love relationship, this heart. And what does Jesus do? By welcoming this woman into his presence... Not in any way correcting her or saying, hey, you know, that's, you know, this is a little bit bit inappropriate, you know, I appreciate your heart and everything. But, you know, but by simply welcoming this woman into his presence, doing nothing, receiving her love, what Jesus is saying is this, I welcome you. I welcome you into the kingdom. I welcome sinners, all kinds of people into my house, my kingdom. And this woman completely got it. We talked about grace. And a few weeks ago, when we started this series, I want to show you, just share with you a simple definition of grace. What is grace? Grace is kindness that is not earned, that is not deserved, and cannot be repaid. That is grace. You cannot earn it, you and I don't deserve it, and we certainly cannot repay it. We simply receive the grace that God has given us. But when we receive this grace that God has given us, we are no longer treating Jesus or the people around us based on how they treat us or based on the value that they bring to our lives We treat people around us by the grace that we've been given as well. See, this grace transforms us. And when you experience the love and grace of Jesus in your life, then you are free to truly treat people based on pure grace, giving and extending grace to those around you. You know what a meal is? You know what this man did when we went to Taiwan? Did he invite us to lunch because he was going to get something out of this? No. He conveyed grace to us. He gave us kindness. We didn't earn it. We didn't deserve it. And we never saw him since. He didn't expect to be repaid. It was just simply grace that he gave because of God's undeserved grace in His life. Hospitality. A meal. The church, our community. Brothers and sisters. We want to be the kind of community that we well as to be, where we can be a display of God's grace to our community. Come, share a meal with us. I want to just extend grace to you kindness because of what Jesus has done for me. I want to extend friendship to you. I want to extend his welcome to you because Jesus has welcomed me. He has invited me in. And this is what grace is about. This is what hospitality is about. It's grace. It's enacted grace. Secondly, hospitality as an enacted family There's only two passages in the book of Acts in the New Testament that describes a church gathering. Only two. They are in Acts chapter 2 and Acts chapter 20. And, incidentally, in Acts chapter 2 and Acts chapter 20, the the only two passages, they both actually revolve around meals. Around meals. Look at Acts 2.42. Luke records... And they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and the fellowship. And look at this, to the breaking of bread and the prayers. So Luke is saying that teaching and prayer is just as important as eating together. That's what he's saying. Can I hear an amen to that? Yes, I know. Um, And all came upon every soul. and the Lord added to their number day by day those who were being saved. This passage, you know, as a church is formed, their first gathering, their first worship gathering, and what do they do? They're eating. They're eating. Because, again, the meal is symbolizing something very important about the nature of God's grace. The second passage, in Acts 20, verse 7-11, this is the only other instance you'll find of a church meeting, on the first day of the week when we gathered together to break bread to eat, uh, Paul talked with them, intending to depart on the next day, and he prolonged his speech until midnight, oh, I love that part, I'm gonna, what time is it right now, okay, we have what, 13 more hours, all right, I'm ready, I'm ready, you (laughs) guys, It's funny because in the, in the following passage, I didn't include this, but it describes this guy named Eutychus who basically fell asleep during Paul's sermon and he fell out the window and died. That's a warning. No, just kidding. Uh, yeah, but he fell asleep during Paul's sermon. So I'm encouraged by that. Hey, if people fall asleep to Paul's sermon, I'm good with that. <laughs> right? But that's what happens. And then, uh, so right after he, Eutychus falls out the window and he dies, basically Paul uh, he goes out, and he heals, resurrects this guy, heals him, and then he, because he's restored and he's paying attention to the sermon again, right? Um, but verse 11, this is what it says. Luke writes, and when Paul had gone up, and had broken bread, and eaten, he conversed with them a long while, until daybreak, and so departed. Notice how the meal is mentioned twice, right? It's like, okay, he's back to life, let's eat now. Okay? Let's celebrate. Uh, but Why is this happening? In the first century, the churches met basically in homes. They didn't meet in buildings. In fact, the idea of the church building did not come into the forefront. They didn't exist until uh, Constantine, Christianity became officially a religion in the Roman Empire, 313 AD. And then they started erecting church buildings that looked like Roman temples, But for the first couple hundred years of Christianity, Christians, we just met in homes, in each other's homes. And the typical home size was anywhere from about 30 to 40 people. Maybe the largest home could accommodate maybe 100, 120 people, but that was the largest gathering. And so the New Testament then describes the church as the household of God. We are the family of God. This is the primary imagery that you will see the Bible describe, you and I. God is our father, Jesus is our older brother, and we together as his people are brothers and sisters in Christ. This is basically what the church is about. And so, whenever the church gathered together for worship, for Bible study, for prayer, any of that, they always gathered around meals, right? It was around meals. Now think about your family meals, right? Your family meal says a lot about your family, right? Some family meals, maybe you guys don't eat together. And the family might be, the relationships are a little bit cold. It's not. Together, it's not warm. Other family meals, you guys are always just together. You're laughing and all of that. And that shows a picture as well. When we gather our family meals as a family, right? Um, A good family meal is a time you think about. It's a time when you're sharing your highs, your lows of the day. You're sharing what, you know, the little things, the things that made you happy, the things that made you sad, but you're sharing it all. And that displays transparency, vulnerability, closeness, relationship. That's what it does. Um, My kids will oftentimes chide me on this, okay? But I have two simple rules when we eat together as a family. A, they know this, we always pray together. No individual prayers, right? Like if someone begins to go, no, 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 no. We pray together as a family, right? Because it's a family meal, not an individual meal. And no cell phones, right? Don't go on your Instagram, don't do that. This is a time for us to share this time as family. Two simple rules. They could talk about whatever they want, but just those two simple rules. Why? Because this is a time that we should be sharing our lives with each other. You can't have a good family meal when people are on their phones and their devices and they're kind of checked out. You're not face to face. And you also can't have a good family meal when there's unresolved conflict. Have you ever tried to have a good meal together with someone or a family when there's tensions and you haven't dealt with what needs to be dealt with, it's, it's unpleasant. You could have filet mignon steak, all right? You could have whatever, like the best chicken salad or whatever you enjoy eating, okay? Uh, you could have the best food, but if there's unresolved conflicts, and you haven't dealt with these things in your hearts, there's a wall, that meal will not taste good. But you could have a simple meal of hot dogs, But if there is love in the relationship, that's a good meal. That's a good meal. And this is the picture that God is trying to paint with the church. He's saying in the church that the church is a family meal. It's a place where there is love, there's forgiveness, but there is warmth and there's relationship. And this displays God's relationship with you and I. He went to the cross. He sent his son Jesus to the cross to say, "Let's not let there be anything between you and I. Uh, let's not have any barriers. Let's have love, let's have warmth, and this is what I want my family to be characterized by." And so that's why the church and the meal is an active family right there. So this is what we do. We're going to have in-and- out burgers. Yeah, yay, <laughs> all right. In fact, some of you are looking more forward to that than to this message, I know. It's like, oh, in and out when are we going to eat the In-N-Out? When's Pastor Dave going to be done with this message, you know? I want my burger. Uh, but yeah, we do that, right, after service. And that's why in our GCs, our gospel communities, we eat a meal in each other's homes. This is what community is about. It's about sharing your lives with one another. And when you open your homes to each other, what do you do? You're inviting them into your life. This is what the family of God is about. right? And the last thing I want to just share, and I kind of touched upon this, but hospitality as enacted reconciliation. Hospitality as enacted reconciliation. Just this last simple passage right here. In Galatians three twenty-seven to 28... Paul describes what's happened to us as we've come together in Christ. He says, for as many of you as were baptized into Christ have put on Christ, there is neither Jew nor Greek, there is neither slave nor free, there is no male and female, for you are all one in Christ Jesus. I love this passage because When we come together as God's people as a church, what we're demonstrating is this. We have many differences with each other in this room. We do. We all come from different political spectrums, beliefs, views, and we have differences in maybe even secondary doctrinal issues. Uh, Christians debate all kinds of things, whether the second coming of Jesus, when is he going to come, and uh, you know whether babies can be baptized or is it just believing adults only. There's there's a charismatics, there's a frozen chosen, right? Uh, but you have all different kinds of Christian groups, and there's all kinds of differences. But when we learn to come together, despite all of our differences. What we are demonstrating is this. We are saying, Christ, what he has done for us on the cross, his death, his resurrection, the fact that we've been redeemed by Jesus, this is the greatest commonality that we have. And we are bound together because of Jesus' death for you and I. And that common bond is something that will last for all of eternity. We are the family of God together. And yes, we may have little differences, and sometimes maybe even big differences, but you are my brother, you are my sister in Christ, and I love you, and I'm going to extend grace to you because Jesus has extended his grace to me. This is meal, and this is hospitality, as enacted reconciliation. We constantly pursue reconciliation. We constantly pursue grace. We constantly pursue these relationships with one another and we say, I don't wanna let selfishness, pride, I don't wanna let uh, my sins, I don't wanna let these things get in the way. I want to pursue right relationships with my family. This is what we're saying. And I wanna extend this grace to everybody. I want to extend the forgiveness that Jesus has given me to those in my family and outside my family. And when we do that, when we put our focus on Jesus, he has already done this through the cross, but he has brought this together as a community who have been redeemed. And so really, unity is not something we have to build. It's something we just have to live out. Christ has already done it for us. One of the ex- patriots that uh, lived in China, in the same city with, with us. Uh, he was someone that uh, honestly was difficult to love sometimes. You know, he challenged us a lot as elders in our international church. And uh, he sent some emails that were completely unfair. He questioned our integrity, our motives, um, which was completely unfair for him to do. And um, it was, it's difficult. He's strongly opinionated, very dogmatic about what he thinks is the right thing to do, what's not the right thing to do. But God began to lay on my heart, um, what does it mean? to extend grace to this man who was difficult to love. And he began to lay that on my heart and I resisted. It's like, ah, no, you know, I could focus my time, my energy in other ways that are more productive, more fruitful, all of that, right? But that's not what God was telling me. God was saying, I want you to reach out. I want you to demonstrate forgiveness, love, reconciliation. And so I did. And we did. And we began to have meals together. And I will say this. On the other side of these meals that we started sharing together, did we come out as best friends? No. Yeah, you know, were, we're not like best buddies. But what began to happen was I began to see him more as a human being and less as an opponent I began to see him more as a brother redeemed in Christ uh, more as a person who's loved by God and less as someone who's just misreading us misinterpreting us and making our lives difficult that's what began to happen but the way that that began to happen was as we began to just share a, share meals together we be, began to actually laugh with one another and we got to know each other, and we began, believe it or not, some semblance of respect towards one another. This is what God invites you and I to. A meal is a powerful demonstration of that. I think I wanna just ask you this question today. Who are those people in your life? Who are the people in your life that God is saying, I want you to turn this person, a stranger, and make them into your friend. How can you do that? Is there someone that God is putting into your heart, in your life, to say, maybe this isn't the person that I naturally would gravitate towards, but here is a person that God is calling me, compelling me, and convicting me, and telling me, extend my grace and love to this person just as I've extended my grace to you. And when you and I were strangers to God, when you, you and I were completely alienated from God and his kingdom and we had no concern for God, we just were concerned about our own lives, living our lives the way we want to live it, and yet God in his grace said, I love you, I sent my son Jesus for you so that we can be reconciled. And he brought you into his family. And as you've experienced this forgiveness in your life, who is it that God is saying, extend this grace? Extend this grace to them. Start anywhere, start small. You don't have to invite them to your house. Can you have a coffee together? Can you have a meal together? Start small, but start, but start. This is what I think God is wanting us to be as well. Uh, We want to be a actual embodiment, a physical demonstration of the reality of God's kingdom. And this world longs for that. You and I long for that. The world needs to see this. It needs to see it physically demonstrated. And I think in this day and age, that is increasingly dehumanizing face to face over a meal. This is a way that we're going to do this. Okay? I'm going to invite you and I to respond right now to the Lord. And every week we take communion. And I love this picture because when we take communion, you know what communion is? It's a meal. It's the last meal that Jesus shared with his disciples on the night in which he was betrayed. And to symbolize what Christ would do for you and I in going to the cross, the greatest symbol that he could give us of the cross was through a meal. He's the one who said, this is my body that's broken for you. And this is his blood that's been shed for you and I. And as we partake of this meal called communion or the Lord's Supper, Jesus welcomes you to his table by his grace. He says, come, I invite you to my table. I invite you to my kingdom and to my house. Would you receive the forgiveness of sins? Would you come and would you receive my body and blood? And this is his acceptance, his welcome for you and I. And so, as we come before the Lord, as we take this communion, let's come before him and let's come receive his grace and let's ask the Lord, Lord, have I been cold towards others? Would you forgive me? Have I erected a barrier? Have I made a friend into a stranger rather than making a stranger into a friend? Would you change my heart, oh God? Would you help me to see your grace in a fresh new way for my life? Are there ways that I'm just failing to extend this grace to others? I'm more interested in protecting my rights and my comforts than serving you and your kingdom. Come before the Lord, confessing, repenting, but receiving his grace once again. And as you're ready, I invite you to just simply come forward thanks for listening to our podcast we would love to hear from you and help you take one step closer to jesus to contact us or for more information please go to www.thewellsgv.org